good afternoon, uh, everyone. We are together again for our Friday afternoon Arab Shabbat Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida and the spiritual spearhead of the Emisphere program. Uh, today's uh, Henry and Lisa Manusheri Parsha Shir will cover Parsha's Miketz, and the topics will be Yosef's shenanigans and the cosmic nation. Very intriguing. The month of Tevas is dedicated by Sylvia Levy and family in commemoration of the tenth yortzeit of her beloved father. Order some more of these visions. Yitzhak ben Moshe. Bits. Yitzhak. Sterenthal, may his memory be a blessing. Uh, lived a life full of purpose and unrelenting optimism. He was very responsible, firm, honest, and loyal. You could always count on his support and his word. Isaac's love of family and his quiet acts of kindness are transcendental. His family has been deeply inspired by his example and are forever thankful for his abundant blessings and transformed by them. Mazalto to the entire Levi and Suster families on the birth of a son to Aaron and Malka Levi. This week's class is also dedicated by Alex and Hava Man and family in honor and appreciation of all the learning in presidential estates. Uh, this is in continuation of their sponsorship of, of last month, the month of Kislev. We are deeply grateful to them and to all our sponsors. For those of you who want to revisit this year for, for, and review the contents, please check the recording that will be posted afterwards. You can also go to the podcasts that are available. Uh, without further ado, Rabbi Akiva Zweig and Parshas Miketz. Good afternoon, good Arab Shabbos. It's a joy to be with everyone in these remaining hours of Hanukkah. And I want to share just a little bit of a brief um, interchange that I had with our dear friend, Joseph Vital, by way of introduction to this year that we're going to have today. This past Wednesday, we were privileged to have many attendees of this class and other classes that we do join us in Yeshiva for a special lunch, a special shir and a special get-together. And Joseph asked me, he said, how are you doing? And I said, thank God, really good, really well. He says, with everything going on, you still have a smile on your face. And I really thought about that comment. It was very meaningful to me. And I realized that I do feel pretty optimistic. And I'd like to share with you today that I think a major message that's happening in Parshas Miketz is that we should all be extremely optimistic. The title of today's class is, first of all, we are doing the Henry and Lisa Manusheri Parsha Shi'ur, and we are talking today about Yosef's shenanigans and the cosmic nation. So next, now let's go uh, straight into the topic of Yosef's shenanigans. What do I mean about Yosef's shenanigans? Well, he, I would say, is probably the best example in the Torah that we have of a practical joker. He does not admit to his brothers that he in fact is Yosef when he first meets them after 22 years, he keeps his identity a secret. That's a practical joke because he will eventually reveal himself. 
He accuses his brothers of being spies. Well, that's ridiculous. He knows that the brothers are not spies. He demands that they bring down Binyamin because for some reason, he's letting them know that Binyamin is a central character in this dialogue and in this story that's unfolding between him and the brothers. He puts them all into jail for three days. He puts his brothers into jail for three days. Is that not a shenanigan? And then he says, you know what? You can all go and one of you will stay here. Is that not also a shenanigan? And then finally, the brothers come, uh, they leave to go back to Egypt with food for Yaakov and he gives their money back in their knapsack to utterly befuddle them, confuse them and actually give them trepidation. <coughs> Is that not a practical joke? And then finally, he comes back, the, the brothers come back with Binyamin, and they have a major party with Yosef. And Yosef, according to Rashi, is banging on his cup, and he says, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zavulun, you all sit here, you're the children of one mother, in the proper order, according to their proper birthing, according to the proper mother, their lineage, and he does the same with all the tribes. Is that not kind of a hint as to the identity of Yosef and again he's keeping it a secret is that not a practical joke and then he plants the cup in Binyamin's knapsack together with his mother gives, us, gives them all back their money accuses Binyamin of being a thief and needing to either die or become a slave or whatever the punishment should be is that not a shenanigan what is the deal with Yosef what is he trying to accomplish and the fact that he does so much to play with the minds of his brothers needs a tremendous <laughs> explanation. What is he trying to accomplish? What's his point? There are many offshoots to this question, such as what do the Egyptian people think about all this? Right? Later, they're going to find out that these people that Yosef was accusing, that Yosef was putting in jail, are his brothers. They're going to forget that all that happened, that this is the way Yosef treated his family. That's also an astonishing, really just amazing thing to consider how all of this is going to play in the minds of the Egyptian people. And you might say, well, we don't really care about what the Egyptians think. But the truth is, in Parshish Vayechi, Rashi tells us that when the brothers are concerned with how Yosef is going to treat them now that Yaakov has died, Rashi tells us that Yosef tells them, look, I can't kill you guys. What would the Egyptians say? Does a brother kill his brothers? Like, we have to be concerned with what the world thinks. We prove that by Shechem and by other places. So clearly, we need some kind of an insight as to what Yosef is trying to possibly accomplish with all the brothers. Um, so Dr. Horowitz is asking, what would the Egyptians know? First of all, let's remember all of Egypt and seemingly the world knows that a nobody who is a Hebrew became the viceroy of Egypt in charge of the entire country. Nobody has authority over him except for power. They know that. And they know that this man who is a central theme in the hunger is the one that's keeping them all alive. They know that. And they know that Yosef is having this conversation uh, with these people accusing them of being spies and throwing them into jail. Now you're telling me Maybe everybody doesn't know that. P 
people like to know what's going on in the White House. I'm sure they like to know what's going on in the palace of Joseph. And anything that's a conspiracy theory, everybody wants to know. Right. So I don't think that we can reasonably assume that this was a little known fact that only a couple of people, a handful of people knew about, especially when Yosef does cry in next week's Parsha and 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 he is alone with his brothers. Suddenly, everybody knows that the brothers are here. These brothers were obviously very impressive people, so I'm not going to say more about it now. I think it's clear that this is something that is becoming a known quantity in the land of Egypt. So that's our overall question is what in the world is Yosef doing with his brothers? Question number two, which is really astonishing, and it's going to hopefully you know, be the beginning of our answer, is how obtuse are these brothers? Now, you might say that the brothers had zero hope or indication that Yosef was alive. And therefore, the brothers never imagined that Yosef could even continue to exist. And therefore, they never entered their minds that Yosef would be right in front of them. The problem with that, for sure, according to the rabbis, and maybe even according to the simple understanding, is that the rabbis very clearly, Rashi brings it, and there are many sources that indicate the same thing, that the brothers went to look for Yosef in Egypt when, at the same time that they went for food. This is the way the rabbis learn. And again, whether or not you say that this is the Pashup shot, certainly the rabbis learn this way, but even in the Pashup shot, there are indicators that give us the idea that they are very much concerned about what they did with Yosef, and it is on their minds. That for sure is in the Pashup shot. For example, when Yosef throws them all into jail, they're there for three days, and then a little bit later, after Yosef makes this big deal about where is Benjamin, Yosef says, you know what, wait a second, Let's, let, let me make a different suggestion. One of you will stay here in jail, the rest of you will go up to Egypt and bring back Benjamin. Even though that's weird. It's just weird because he doesn't need to do that. Why should you let them all go? I mean, wouldn't the logical thing be, you know, if you're letting, you know, nine out of 10 be free, uh, they would thank the lucky stars and maybe not come back. So that you'll say, well, they needed to come back for food anyways. Regardless, as soon as Yosef says that, just remember, they were already three days in jail. But as soon as Yosef says, hey, look, you're all going to go back and bring back the yamen, you know, when you tell your father what's going on, you know what happens? The brothers look at each other and say, oh, no, Hashem has brought our guilt upon us that now we are suffering with this trick, so to speak, right? with this concept that we need to bring back Benjamin. It must be because of what we did to our brother Yosef, that when he cried to us, we didn't listen to him. So clearly the brothers have it on their mind. That's number one. But number two, and this is astonishing, they're three days in jail with Yosef saying, listen, you got to bring back Benjamin. And they don't say anything. They don't say anything about, hey, <coughs> why are we in jail? This is weird. What did we do? All we did was come to buy food and suddenly we're in jail. Why don't they realize that in three days of being in jail? They don't have any <coughs> expression of remorse. <coughs> they don't have any expression of remorse. And 
furthermore, they now say that they did something wrong, which is a reason, and this is where I very strongly disagree with Rabbi Nakhimin. Yes, there's a lot in the Pashat Shah that indicates that not only is Yosef on their mind, but that they that they are um, possibly, I, I'm not going to say definitely, but possibly looking for Yosef, as Chazal pointed out, it says, it says that the 10 brothers of Yosef went down, and seemingly there's no reason to mention that they're the brothers of Yosef, if Yosef is not on their mind, if they have zero intention about possibly looking for him. But even over here, in, in these sentences, where it's discussing straight out that they are regretting what they did to Yosef, and Reuven says to them, didn't we say that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't have done what you did to, to Reuven said, didn't I tell you, you shouldn't do this to the child, you shouldn't do this to Yosef. So anyways, what I'm pointing out, aside from, you know, maybe that they're looking for Yosef or not, aside from that, is the fact that they do have regret. That's very clear. They have regret over what they did to Yosef, which should lead to a logical conclusion. And this, I do say, is part is a Pashupshan understanding that we should look for him. Because, hey, didn't the Americans do that for the Vietnamese captives for decades, right? Wouldn't it be logical to assume that the families of the current hostages may be looking for these people for decades? So it's not unreasonable at all to think that the brothers finally do look for Yosef. But again, that's not even the main point. My main point is what is Yosef doing? Are they so obtuse to not realize that perhaps something unusual that they need to be paying attention is going on, that maybe the person that they're dealing with knows information. He's hyper-focusing on Benjamin, right? And he comes up with this ridiculous claim. I'm going to say, yes, it seems ridiculous to accuse them of being spies, unless we're going to say Yosef just accused many people of being spies. And on top of that, it continues. Because later when they come back, in the Pashup shot, Yosef puts all of them in the order of their birth in front of him. He, he gets it completely correct that they are all according to the sure. they're all organized according to their birth and in their age. According to Rashi, it's even according to the mother, each one by the mother that they were born to. Like, how does Yosef know all these things? And even if you want to say he's pretending it's divination, it's just one oddity after the next. And he even says, uh, God should have mercy on you, my son, Binyamin. So he's clearly showing an affinity for Binyamin, right? So for sure, if they're looking for him like Chazal, it's incredibly difficult <laughs> that they don't realize what's going on. But even if you say they're not looking for him, Yosef is giving them literally one major hint after the next. You would think he's almost saying, hint, hint, hint. And let's not forget that they eat alone as Hebrews with Yosef because Yosef himself will not eat with the Egyptians. That's not an indicator? Really? Yosef is a Hebrew. That's clear. Nobody can argue with that. Even that they don't pay attention to? So uh, literally an incredible thing. And then, of course, we have our first question, which is, what is it that Yosef is trying to do? So what I'd like to begin with, uh, by way of a suggestion, how to understand this whole storyline, is that we have to go back to the beginning and we have to think about the original dreams that Yosef has. So Rashi says here in Parshas Miketz, we're, we're gonna go back to the beginning in a moment, 
that as soon as the brothers, and I, I'm mentioning Rashi for a very specific point over here, as soon as the brothers appear in front of Yosef, let me get you the, the chapter and verse so you see it clearly. It says that Yosef, this is chapter 42, sentence 8, 42-8, Yosef recognized his brothers and they did not recognize him. Sentence 9, hello Henry, Yosef remembered the dreams that he dreamt for them. So that's in the sentence. Now, you know, I don't know about all of you, but I would imagine Yosef didn't really need to recall that. I would think that was pretty much on his mind for 22 years. But the Torah says he recalled that. Like, like it was off his mind, it wasn't on his radar. Now that he sees his brothers, oh, suddenly he remembers the dream. So Rashi, to answer that question and just in general, what, what does it have to do right now in the story that he remembers the dream? Rashi says, oh, he knew that the dreams became fulfilled because the brothers just bowed down to him. Now, do you think in Yosef's, I'm going to use a pun here, in his wildest imagination, in his wildest dreams, when he was dreaming that the brothers were going to bow down to him, that the brothers wouldn't realize that they were bowing down to him, that they would think that they were bowing down to someone else? So it's fascinating to me that Rashi calls that a fulfillment of the dreams, right? Rashi says that the dreams were fulfilled in this moment because when the brothers did not recognize Yosef, they bowed down to him. Oh, that's a fulfillment of the dreams. To me, it's astonishing because well, how is that a fulfillment of the dreams? Moreover, if it is a fulfillment of the dreams, so you would think it's game over. The dreams are fulfilled. Yosef is the ruler. Tell them I am Yosef. And let's go. All, all of you come down to Egypt, like he says in next week's partnership. But instead, we have all these games, these shenanigans that Yosef is playing. What is up with that? So my suggestion is that Yosef has a completely different understanding of the dreams than the brothers ever imagined from the beginning. And perhaps, perhaps even Yaakov. OK, I don't know this for sure, but this is what I want to suggest. When Yosef presents the dreams about the sheaves uh, bowing down to Yosef's stock or about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to Yosef, the interpretation of the brothers is that Yosef is going to lord over them. Yosef is going to be the ruler over them. And Yaakov says, do you think that we're going to, that you're going to rule over the, us and that all of us are going to come bow down to you? That's what Rashi, that's what the, the, what the sentences say. That seems to be the correct interpretation of the dreams. Says Rashi over here, when they bow down to him, okay, so Yosef is in charge. My suggestion is that Yosef understands that those dreams are only the beginning. <laughs> it's saying that Yosef, um, I'm going to suggest that Yosef has a different understanding of this dreams stuff. And what he says in his, his mind, I'm suggesting, is that these dreams does not simply mean, they do not simply mean that the Jewish people are going to have a king and his name is Yosef. No, it means that the Jewish people are a cosmic nation. They are the stars, they are the sun, and they are the moon, which means that they are global forces in creation. That's what Yosef understands. Moreover, just like the constellations, right? The stars, sun, and the moon. They run creation. The Jewish people are going to run creation. Moreover, 
Yosef himself is not one of the constellations. Yosef himself is not a player in this creation scenario, except for being the facilitator of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Yosef himself is not a planet. He's not a star. He's not anything. He's just Yosef. So what Yosef understands with these dreams is that the purpose of Yosef being a ruler is to allow the sun, the stars, and the moon to function properly. So the bowing down is just the beginning of creation functioning as it's meant to, to, to be, meaning meant to, to function. And so therefore, it's true that Yosef sees that the brothers are bowing down to him. But he understands that what he needs to correct in the brother's understanding of the dreams is, A, it's not about Yosef. It's not about Yosef being in charge. It's not that Yosef needs this, um, you know, accolade, this homage, this empowerment by the brothers. Oh, Yosef, you're, you're the mighty king. You're what we, so to speak, worship or well, you're what we have to listen to. No, it's that Yosef is the one that organizes their cosmic potential into actual abilities so that they can function as the cosmic nation that the Jewish people are meant to become. That's Yosef's understanding. And so when the Torah says that Yosef remembers the dream, yes, of course, they're going to bow down to Yosef, right? And they bow down to him. But that means that now they are given over to him, you'll pardon my saying this, to play with them, meaning to manipulate them into understanding who they are and understanding that they need to synergize and understanding that they need to unify and understanding that they need to be cosmic influences in the world. So I suggest a very simple approach. What Yosef is trying to show them practically is how obtuse can you be, people? You are the most blessed nation on earth. You are the reason that God has a relationship with Abraham, with Yitzchak and Yaakov. You are the reason that he made this covenant so that you guys could be born and that you could gel into the cosmic nation that will have the correct influence in the world. And you don't think for a second that maybe what you did with Yosef is staring at you in the face for a minute you don't even realize. And by the way, you know what you don't, really don't want to face is what you did to your own father. And so that's why when Yosef says, hey, look, I'm going to put you all in jail. They don't think differently. They don't think anything's up. Incredible. They, they're literally blind to it because they've convinced themselves to ignore Yosef Yaakov's pain for 22 years. Right? Yaakov is unable to be consoled. They're not willing to think about it. So they're put into jail. Okay, shkayach. We have another intifada. All right. You know, it's another intifada. Big whoop. To which Yosef says, hey, look, guys, all of you are going to have to go back up and face Yaakov right now with the problem that one of your brothers is in jail. The minute that they have to look Yaakov in the face and say, wait a second, we got another brother into trouble, all the history comes back to hunt them. And that's when they say, uh-oh, we are being held accountable for what we did to Yosef because now they have to confront Yaakov, which is really what they were trying to avoid and not admit to themselves that the pain that they caused Apple was the ultimate proof that what they did was wrong and it wasn't meant to be truly that Yosef should be severed from the brotherhood. And so in that moment, 
when they realize that they're going to know, go need to have a conversation with Yaakov, that's when they say, oh, we are being held accountable. It wasn't enough that they were in jail for three days. But you brush that to the side. And then every other indicator that Yosef gives to them to show them that, hey, you should be really waking up and smelling the coffee. I'm an Ivri. Everybody knows he's an Ivri. So Rabbi Yechiel, whether or not he ate separately alone, which I, I strongly disagree, even though, yes, there are Rishonim that learn, Radak and others that learn the chat and that Pasuk about eating together, like you're saying. What I'm saying is, no, they, they ate with Yosef because the Pasuk chat, that he was with them. Okay, you could, you could argue. It's fine. But the point is, everybody knows he's an Ivri. Everybody knows that he speaks a different language than Paro. Every, my, it's what it seems. Everybody knows that, that um, he has these phenomenal abilities. Everybody knows now, I mean, the brothers, I should say, know now that Benjamin is becoming a central focus. And then he sets them all up according to their genealogical order. He's giving them one hint after another to teach them one very simple lesson. If you're a cosmic nation, you got to understand that everything that's happening to you is happening for a reason. And it's directly related to your mission. And it's directly related to everything that you did wrong and every responsibility that you need to live up to now. It's happening for a reason. You know why Harvard and MIT and University of Penn, you know why they're doing this now? Because of what we have been doing until now. That we've been giving over our children to believe these crazy ideologies, etc. Buying into the American dream instead of the Jewish dream. That's what we've been doing. But instead, you know, we're saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. The guy don't have our backs. That's the problem. That we think that the guy should have our back. That's the problem. That's not the cosmic nation. That's not even the startup nation. That's the made up nation. We're not supposed to be like the rest of the nations of the world. We're not ever going to be treated like the rest of the nations of the world by the nations of the world because we're not meant to be like the rest of the nations of the world. We are We are a unique nation. We have a unique DNA. We have a unique mission. And we can never think that we're supposed to be like everyone else. And if we do, that is the problem. And if the brothers are not willing to look and say, what's happening to us is really weird. It doesn't make any sense that this should be happening to us. And it takes them a long time to realize that it has to do with what they did to their own brother. Welcome to the blindness of the Jewish people in the 21st century. You think never again is because the Gayim are going to change? That's what is going to guarantee that the Holocaust is not going to happen again? We're not paying attention to the book. It's when we don't follow the Torah that the Holocaust is going to happen again. No mystery, no secret. Now, of course, for weeks we've been talking about this, because if we do follow the Torah, we become the right influence in the world. We change the paradigms of what the world considers to be truth to what is actual truth instead of the garbage that they've been feeding us, right? That's how it works. But if we have a preconceived notion for a minute that we are not meant to be the cosmic nation, then we don't see what's right in front of us. We literally don't see it. We're totally blind to it. No, of course, Iran is going to make a deal that they're going to keep. That's like saying Lavan is going to make a deal that he's going to keep. And the fact that so many of our nation's brothers, right, so many of our own people believe that nonsense is all part of the problem of us not understanding what the dreams that Yosef had really mean. 
What they really mean is that we have to take positions of leadership in the world. And those positions of leadership have to be based on unbreakable unity with one another. You can't get rid of Yosef. You can't leave Benjamin behind. You can't leave Shimon in jail. You can't leave the people on the border in Eretz Yisrael to themselves. You can't say that segment doesn't matter or that segment doesn't matter. That is against the dreams of Yosef. Twelve. We are twelve. All eleven of you are what's going to run the show. I'm just here to facilitate that. But without any one of us, without any one of the constellations, if you don't have the sun, what do you have? You don't have a moon. What do you have? If you don't have one of the stars, what do you have? You have a non functioning or even worse, ruined creation. That's what you have. And so the message of the dreams that Yosef is really saying, is not about me lording over you. Yes, you're going to all bow down to me because I'm going to facilitate your synergy. That is the message of the dreams. And that's the reason for Yosef's quote unquote shenanigans. And what he does is he proves to them how far off they are understanding of what the dreams really mean. You know, everybody says that he's doing this about Benjamin and so that the dreams should come true. That's not the way Chazal learned. And I'm suggesting a much more pushed approach. What he's telling them is that you don't get to look at creation like the rest of creation, that things just happen, stuff happens. You don't get to do that. You have to understand that everything that's happening is to guide you to becoming the global forces that you need to be. And when you're not, you pay the price. And the game will not appreciate you and nobody will respect you, but if you do, then everything in creation functions as it's supposed to function. And so therefore, I think we now understand a tremendous amount more about what Yosef is doing in terms of all these tricks that he's playing, and he wants the aftermath, he wants the after effect of the, this, you know, these shenanigans to live and to play into their mindset, which is why I think it leads perfectly into them understanding that they really cannot function as the nation that they're supposed to without Yosef, and therefore they all move down to Mitzrayim. If the Hashgacha made it, that Yosef needs to be in Egypt, and they need to be with Yosef, they all have to move to Egypt. And that's what they do, lock, stock, and barrel. You know, today, we can't convince any family to live in the same state, and usually not in the same country. They all moved down from Israel, Eretz Canaan, to Mitzrayim, every single one of them, because Yosef's message is beginning to penetrate their minds. They need to live as an undivided nation. They need Yosef to support them. They need Yosef to guide them. They need Yehuda to lead them. The whole thing that happens next week with building, you know, uh, the, the real estate and the, the places of living in Mitzrayim, whether it's yeshiva plus the community, etc. They need, they need to do that together. And that ultimately, of course, is, you know, the theme that we've been, you know, talking about for a long time. The Jewish people now need to come together and function as a nation more than ever before with a unified mission, a unified vision, a unified way to address the real problems in the world. That is what we need. Now, I wish I knew how to get there. I wish I did. I wish our group knew how to get there. I'm just, I'll give you a simple example and then we're going to stop in three minutes. So I have an uncle who's very brilliant. His name is Rabbi David Holzer. He's written many books. He's figured out science and inventions without any formal training like many people have never done before. And he was telling me this morning that he's actually been working on a project of creating caricatures accurately depicting what's happening in the world 
to the Jewish people. So like an example would be, he hasn't shown me them yet, but an example that I imagine would be to create a, a, a globe with flags of Islamic Jihad gradually you know, growing across the globe, across the country, while various groups are getting annihilated. And, and here there are no more Christians, and here there are no more Jews, and here there are no more of this people, right? That would be an accurate depiction of the ideology that is confronting the world today between, you know, Iran and other countries, right? That would be accurate. So he he's trying to do that and make that ubiquitous, right? Okay, how do we do that? I don't know how to do that. I don't know how we get organized to do that. But I do know that that's what Yosef's ultimate message is. It's only going to work if the, the stars, the sun, the moon are all functioning together with Yosef as a leader, that then we become the cosmic nation. I wish I knew how to do that, but I do think that, that is the accurate message. And I do think that that very well explains Yosef's entire approach here is to show them that they are being obtuse because they are misunderstanding the real implications of the original dreams. Let's take questions and comments, please. Anybody want to raise their hand or go? Yes, Joseph, please. So continue our discussion from Wednesday. Can you, I'm still puzzled for your continuous smile. So can you give us some insights of what you're thinking that reason of, of, of optimism in the face of yeah, absolutely. the challenges? Yeah, the reason for my optimism is number one, we know that the ultimate end, no matter what suffering or devastation happens in the meantime, we know that the ultimate end is going to be God's plan for the whole world to know the truth of his kingship. That's number one. Now, that doesn't feel good to say that, you know, it's going to come after millions or more perish, right? That's true. But it is reassuring to know that that is the ultimate end, right? That the dream of all our forefathers is going to come true. Okay, it is going to happen. The Jews will be in Eretz Israel, etc., even if it's after tremendous devastation. But number two, I'm optimistic because more and more I believe in the greatness of our people. I believe that we are the cosmic nation exactly like Yosef's dreams describe and in our unbelievable abilities. And I believe that we see very often the greatness of the Jewish spirit even today. And that as long as that becomes more and more contagious, our love for one another, our motivation to become who we're meant to become and fulfill our mission, I think we can avoid a lot of the tremendous looming devastation. I really, I really believe that. Uh, I 100% uh, think that that's true. I think that that's what is the ultimate desire that Hashem wants, just like Hashem stood up for the Hashem when they stood up for themselves. I think that Hashem will stand up for us when we stand up for ourselves. Now, do I know that that's why the Turkish uh, parliament guy dropped uh, dead, you know, had a heart attack and dropped dead. I don't know that's why, but to me, it's very possible. We just need that to happen like tens of thousands of times over, if not more, right? That can happen. Do we, on this call, do we not think that that can happen? I 100% think that that can happen. So what does it take? We have to do our part. That's why I'm saying it's very important, the Alanisim, to realize that when it comes to Hanukkah, Hashem stood up for the Hashmonaim. 
Hashem didn't just rescue them. Hashem stood up for them when they stood up for themselves. That's what we have to do. I just had a conversation last night, a beautiful conversation with a, a great family. And one of the members of this family was arguing that, you know, homosexuality is a reality and uh, people can't change who they are. And I said, listen, I'm not saying that it's not a desire that people have, but a person has a choice. That's what the Torah tells us. Just because a person has a desire doesn't mean that they can't make a different choice. We have to stick to the truth and we have to stand against the garbage that's been fed to us by society. And if we do that, yeah, Hashem stands up for us and does tons more miracles. And yes, I'm very optimistic about that. And I feel great to be given the opportunity to work with people like yourselves and so many others that are open to these kinds of messages and God willing will become motivated and activated to do as well. Rabbi, there are some upraised hands. I see Shalom oh, Stein, Rabbi Nagelman, and, and, and Rabbi Yiddel. I don't see them, so Aaron Huda, please uh, call him. Uh, I, I, I think the sequence was uh, Rabbi Yiddel, and then, uh, and then Rabbi Nagelman. Perfect. I get to get near Shabbos Kaidish, as usual. Very, very special. Makes my mind think. It's starting to work. All week does work. Now it's, I have to do a lot of thinking. The first question that I have to you is, it said Mishtach family. So why would you say he wasn't part of the dream? That's why I asked you before. I didn't say how that possible. He says Mishtach family. You're yeah. all. But what I'm, yeah, yeah. So what I, my answer to your question is what I, I saw that question. What I'm saying is he's not one of the constellations in the dream. He's just Yosef in the dream. In other words, I'm not, is Yosef, I'm not sure what you're trying to say with that. Okay, so I'll explain. Is Yosef the sun, the moon, or the stars in his dream? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what but, he is. Because what I'm saying, see, he's not. You see, his father because, wasn't sure either. No, no, but but the question is, who is bowing down to Yosef? But Yosef is just Yosef. It doesn't say he that could he, be, he, could be, he could be the son. No, because the son is bowing down to him. So I'm not sure. That's, I'm, I'm not clear what I'm not clear what that means. He's not <laughs> part of the They're all bowing down right. to him. The Yankovini so, said they don't have a mother, so it's both really Bilarash says. Okay, good. So what I'm saying yeah, is, but, but whoever they be, are, could be he was one of though. I, I'm not sure. That's what I'm asking. I'm not clear with that. Yeah, to me, it's obvious he's not a constellation because he doesn't present as a constellation, as opposed to the first dream where he says that the sheaves are bowing to his sheaf. So they're not bowing to him in the first dream. In the second dream, they're bowing to his sheaf. I'm not saying that's not a representation of him. But in the second dream, it's just Lee. So all I'm saying from that, in my opinion, is that he's saying that he's the facilitator of them. I hear it. Okay. The second thing that I that I asked you is that why didn't Yosef, after he became vice president, send a message to his father? Or send somebody or a letter. I'm I'm alive. I'm fine. Why is he yes, never my, my, that? Right. So I have a, a shear written up on that. And if you want, if you text me, I'll send it to you. But my answer to that question is because Yosef knows that in order for him to actually really reunite with the brothers, they have to be open to seeing him like a brother. He can't impose that on them. He but can't be a problem. Father, where, where, where does it take away the? No, the, the, his responsibility is not the. You you went on mute. Hello, hello? Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I said if his father is in pain, what does it have to do with the brothers right now? I'm, I'm sending a personal letter uh, expressed. Nobody's going to know about it, only his father. 
Why yeah, does he get blamed believe, the same think... way his father got blamed not giving respect to father after he became vice? I never, I never understood this. Yeah, that's another question. That second part, I think, is another question. I'm saying the answer to my opinion, the answer to your question is that Yaakov is not going to keep that a secret because Yaakov is going to say that Yosef needs to be part of the brotherhood. He's not going to keep yeah, that fine. a secret. Okay, okay. so okay. therefore... Yosef is saying, choice, but the pain, the pain has to be taken away at this point. No, the, very more important, no, so I'm saying, no, more important than taking away the pain is the Jewish people becoming who they're supposed to become, which is what Yaakov wants, anyways. And that's really his pain, anyways. That's really Yaakov's pain. His pain is not the personal suffering of a father for a son, the pain is that his destiny of building the cosmic nation or the Jewish nation is in jeopardy. That's really he was pain. he was in pain because he would go to Gehenna if one of his kids because it was dead. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that that but that that he could have alleviated. He I can't I'm, alleviate I wanna... it. I'm saying he can't alleviate it because the only way to alleviate it is by the brothers becoming unified, and that depends on the brothers being open to unifying with him. Okay, it's a longer conversation. This is like another whole shear. But, yeah, but no, 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 the general approach. Yeah. Chavez, everybody, thank you. Chavez. Chavez. I believe that we had Rabbi Nakdeman uh, next. He has his hand raised. Sure. Yes. Two, just two points. Just to, just to touch base with Yidl's shot. It's, it's, the very simplistic reason is because uh, Yosef does not want to reveal to his father that they, they kidnapped him. And that would be the only way that he would be able to tell them anything. And who said he would, they would get a letter from him, express mails. I mean, the whole uh, assumption that he would be able to tell them that is is a very um not such a, a strong well we know i want to tell we know that's the reason he didn't never met with his father alone that is the reason when his father came he never met with his father alone not to reveal to him to be able to be at that so that's, question that's, so that's a simplistic answer to your question but it's much more complicated than that be that as it may anyway the real question i want to know what you touched upon the second dream how does the first dream of um play into all of this yeah, it's a good question. Um, I didn't work on it uh, this year. Very good question. I, my opinion, the first dream is talking about um, Yosef's ability to organize economy, because that's what it's about, uh, the, the grain. Um, <clears throat> but I need to work on it more. I think, I think it's a different type of dream. I don't look at them as though they're all the same, but I need to work on it more. All right. Yeah, it's definitely a good question. I, I started thinking about it, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not far along that, that line of thinking yet. Yes, we, we have a also Shalom Stein who, who uh, was waiting patiently. Sure. Uh, you're unmute, on mute, Shalom. Mr. Stein, un unmute yourself. Thank yeah. you. Is there any notion that the uh, brothers couldn't uh, contradict a, um, you know, like, like everybody knew, uh, but, but, um you know it was like like very political um not so much a, a trick but uh it was, it was you know like like they really did represent um you know a threat to the government they were very powerful the brothers and um you know so so even even if people had knowledge that that Yosef was the brother like it wasn't appropriate to to mention is there any notion of that well, we, is there is there any notion that like the brothers should not to what like like I kept thinking that 
that everybody knew all along. I, I, I till this year, I, I, I thought that everyone knew all along, and um, you know, but but they didn't they didn't say it because it's like politics not to always say everything that you know. Like it was political reasons. These were major political, uh, you know, figures in that in that historical era. And so, therefore, who didn't tell who what? Well, the brothers um, couldn't say we we think you're Yosef. You know, oh. it just it wouldn't yeah, so be I, okay. I, as, okay, so as far as I know, that's against the Pasha Chat because the Torah very clearly says Yosef recognized them. Uh, and they did not recognize him. So unless you want to say somehow that means that they weren't able to own up uh, directly that it was him, uh, it doesn't seem to mean that, you know, because when it says that he recognized them, he also didn't own up to it. So I think that that sentence would, would pretty much say they did not know it was him. And also later, they, they seem shocked, you know. I mean, the Torah says that they were shocked when he reveals their identity. Anyone else? Uh, there's a comment on the chat, Rabbi. I don't know if you can see it. It's from Ari Mar Marinelli. Okay. And he comments that there's a hierarchy of values. Yeah. And the brothers are looking at true unification, uh, having precedence over Yaakov's pain. And, and if yeah, I may so ask I think... a follow-up to his point, it, it, it's also that when they offered themselves up to... To, to stay along with with uh, with their brother, that they did so without consulting with their father, just just as as with the, in part the incident with uh, Shehem. So why yeah. didn't they consult with their father? Yeah. So it seems that uh, Ari is correct, and I think he's responding to Rebuttal's point from before, which I was saying also is that the goal here of Yosef and the story is not that Yaakov should feel better. The goal is that the people should become. The brothers should become who they're meant to become, and that requires them to go through their agony and their recognition of their ultimate purpose and mission. And uh, when Yehuda starts stepping up to the plate, you know, he knows that too. And therefore, you know, if the only way to reunify ultimately Binyamin uh, with everyone is to, you know, be a slave in Egypt, of course, that needs further explanation. It's more important than the, te the, the temporary pain. I think that's correct. Dr. Horowitz, somebody else? We're good? Okay. Well, I wish everybody a good Shabbos. Enjoy your last uh, few hours of Hanukkah. Um, Henry, always a pleasure. Everybody, always a pleasure. God willing, we should uh, continue to see many, many more miracles. Uh, even as Hanukkah now is approaching its close, God should continue to sending us all the miracles that we need. Uh, to end this uh, terrible situation. Good job, everyone. Amen. Thank you. 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 Thank you.